I can't believe it. We're back for another week of the Jew and Gentile podcast. It's great that you're here with us. Thank you for joining. Uh, my name's Chris Katolka. I'm your host, and with me is none other than the sage himself, the Jewish sage, Steve Herzig. Steve, how are you? Hey, I'm good. It seems like yesterday that we were here. It's gone so fast. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm so glad that we're back. I'm glad that we're able to do this together, and uh, even though it felt like just yesterday. So, Steve, we've got a great show lined up. Um, Steve, how's your back? It's um, been a week. How's has, your back? <laughs> it's been a week, but I still know it's there. Let's put it that way. All right, hold on a minute. Hang on. Here we go. Welcome in. Welcome in. I am so glad that you're with us. Steve's been suffering with his lower back, as we like to say. Oi, vase mir. So, uh, Steve, how's it? What's the report, my friend? Well, the report is it's. I'm old, Chris. That's the report. It's still tweaky, and I know it's there, and I know it takes time. Uh, but if it if it goes another week, I'll probably uh, cave in and go to a chiropractor. Well, we were t- <laughs> so. I think our listeners will get a kick out of this. Uh, you know, Steve, it's almost like the podcast. You guys might listen to the podcast for however, it could be 40 minutes, it could be an hour or whatever. But I, I want you to know the podcast keeps going on because <laughs> all the time, all the time, because see, Steve and I work with one another. Our offices are next to one another. So we're talking like it's the pot. What, what, I'm not even joking. Steve, I, I, this isn't a show. This it is, is not a show. This is us doing what we do all the time. All the time. That's why we thought it would be a good idea to do a podcast. So all that to say, uh, Steve was in earlier with a colleague of ours, Tom Gagan, and uh, we started talking. We tried to get on the show, by the way. We're going to get him in here. One day. We're trying to con people to get in here. They won't come in. They know us too well. <laughs> so it's hard to get people <laughs> to join. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, what was it? Oh, so we were talking about chiropractors, and you said that you're, you've been to a cracker i've been to a cracker but there's i didn't realize i've never been to a chiropractor before but there's also tappers that's right tappers and crackers a cracker is a person who cracks your back i've seen Uh, those so you go in and they he in fact the cracker that i went to he i walked in he said well i'm I'm gonna crack your back and you're gonna hear it and so that's i thought that's what a chiropractor did but then fast forward oh a few years uh when i had a back issue temporarily he was a tapper uh and the tapper he used just his index finger and he tapped and <laughs> it didn't feel like i was getting my money's worth chris but he just said give me a certain number of weeks i forgot how many it was and enough said, weeks for your body to get over it i guess its- he tapped my way to happiness oh, he, because uh, what can I how say? do you, i mean the, did you feel like you're getting ripped off when you go from the guy i mean it, they're complete opposite experiences completely different experiences the tapper you wonder if you're getting ripped off but i there was a guy where i commended him to me and uh i trusted him and so i gave the guy the time you know the number of weeks that it was and until i hurt my back this time I had no problem. So the tapper worked. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I'm I'm hoping that you don't have to go to a cracker or a tapper. I don't want to go back to either one. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, I'm glad that you're here with us, though. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for you. Before we get started, you know the routine, everybody, if you've been listening. Uh, the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. Like Friends of Israel, FOI Equip. You can go to foiequip.org, and you can actually start registering for all of our classes, Steve, we got a fantastic lineup. I've been working the on them. Next event is the big macher. The, we use that. We use that macher thing. That's right. And uh, th- th- I know we have a lecture series coming up, but the big macher in September 
is Jim Showers. That's right. Jim Showers, our president, is going to be joining us for one night in September, September 15th. Um, and you can register for that at foiequip.org. And, you know, I, I love about this, Steve, is that Jim's going to come on and kind of talk about the history of Friends of Israel, what was going on that ultimately gave birth to the Friends of Israel, the creation of it, what was going on politically, what was going on globally, um, and how Christians saw what was happening to the Jewish people during the Holocaust, and instead of just reading it in a newspaper, they got up and they took action, and they said, "We're not gonna, we're not gonna let this continue." And they started raising funds to help save Jewish lives, uh, to bless the Jewish people. That's the origins of the Friends of Israel. So it'll be a great night with Jim. It will be a great night. It's kind of like a railroad track. One of the rails, if you go from east to west, uh, would be uh, Friends of Israel. Uh, it's timeline. The other is the world of world as the Holocaust was happening, uh, is another. And Jim's going to be able to bring those together and give you a timeline of what went on in the world, as you said, and wh- how Friends of Israel started. It's I've heard him do it before. It's He's got a handle on both. He wrote his dissertation on the Holocaust and Friends of Israel. So it's something that's very dear to his heart and something you worked very hard on. Well, and the class was something that you came up with, too, because you had you sat in, I think, on a meeting with Jim and a person um, who had done her dissertation, her Ph.D. dissertation on um, on the Friends of Israel. And um, he was you guys were going over some stuff with her and he was just explaining and you no notes with no notes and just kind of going over the significance of Friends of Israel, what was going on. And I remember you came back into my office. You said, we got to have Jim in a class talking about no question. He did uh, 45 minutes to an hour with no notes, uh, barely taking a breath and very systematically and in a very uh, easy listen as well. I think our listeners are going to benefit. Jim has a way about him. He's soft-spoken. He's not like you and I. No. He's not like us. No, he's much more tempered. He's much more, I mean. Much easier listen. Yes, definitely. We're out of control compared to him. We're like a a train off the tracks kind of people. He's very uh, methodical the way he thinks, the way he leads. All of it is so so well done, and I just think our people are going to be blessed by it. They're going to love it. Yep. So um, that's going to be September 15th. But you'll see the whole lineup. You know, we were even talking about uh, early earlier you, you were mentioning that to one of our colleagues Amy who we've had on the podcast before uh, that we're going to have David Brog on in December uh, Chris and he could she, be congressman David Brog by that, then that, that's certainly a possibility and Amy was beside herself I I tell her about uh, Jew and Gentile podcast she goes oh yeah that, that's very nice I'm mm-hmm. glad you guys you guys are doing yeah, a nice are, job yeah you guys are and then I told her people. about equip <laughs> And I said, David Brock, David Brock, yeah. I can't believe, when, how, what What do I do? I said, oh, okay, she likes David Brock. Yeah. And why not? He wrote a book, mm-hmm. uh, and he is cr- uh, currently running for congressman in Nevada. In Nevada, mm-hmm. in Nevada. And so you're right. It's possible it'll be a first for Jew and Gentile podcast. Our we first could, politician. We could have. Well, we'll definitely have a politician, but we hope he'll be a successful yes, politician. Yes, exactly. Well, anyway, there's just so much exciting stuff going on. Go to foiequip.org, and that is where you can sign up for all these fantastic classes. That's where you can watch past classes that maybe you've missed, and that's also where you can listen to the Jew and Gentile podcast and Ty Perry's podcast, Getcher. So please be sure to go to foiequip.org. Org. So, Steve, we are continuing our seven signs from the book of John, Jesus. We've gone through Cana of Galilee, 
John chapter 2. John chapter 4, we've done the nobleman and Jesus' healing of the nobleman just in time. Um, uh, we've done John chapter 5 last week. Um, where where we where we we studied um, the uh, healing uh, of the of the man the the invalid the lame man at uh, the pool of Bethesda and now we're moving into John chapter six. That's right, and I want to remind our listeners of John chapter twenty verse thirty. It says, "And and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus." is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the purpose, Chris, of the book of John, and that's why we picked these seven signs mm-hmm. as we uh, specifically from the book. That's why John did it. We didn't pick them. John did, and we're going through them, and we're coming to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, it says, after these things. Now, Chris, uh, you went to seminary. Uh I've taken courses in the Gospels. There's what's called the harmony of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And I must tell you, maybe you're different, but I never get it figured. I have books of it. I, I've i looked at it, timelines. It's sometimes confusing uh, as to what happened when as they relate to the four Gospels. Yeah, I have, a, uh, I have actually this uh, Greek interlinear English um, book, that kind of goes through and couples together a lot of the um, the accounts from the various gospels and how they harmonize with one another. But also, each gospel sometimes will have its own account. It will have its own. John is very. John is not one of the synoptic gospels. John is is uh, uh, the fourth gospel. Um, so you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They have a lot. There's a lot of similarities there. And people have an opinions on how there's similarities there. Um, but John definitely stands out. Steve and has. Uh, his own, um, uh, you know, it's not an, his own take, but he has a lot of unique stories uh, and accounts. And But he does have the feeding of the 5,000 in here, which is a part of Yes, of the, he does. And when it says after these things, I had to go to a harmony of the Gospels to try to get what these things are. What's happened from the time of chapter 5? It's not chronological. So mm-hmm. what has happened? Well, just to name a few, there was the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus did, the healing of the Roman centurion, uh, the raising of the widow's son, uh, J- uh, the uh, John the Baptist was killed by Her- by Herod, and there were other events. So John doesn't. It's it's not necessarily oh the end of chapter five, the beginning of chapter six. Some time has passed. Uh, a number of events have taken place, but it says Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. Chris, you've been on the sea. We've been on a boat. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is about thirteen miles. Around yep. now, everybody has their I give or take. I'm not giving exact measurements. It's about seven miles wide. It's, it's called, a lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee. And tell us the first time you saw. Maybe you knew. I I'll describe it from my perspective. I was reading the New Testament, the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to see the <laughs> Sea of Galilee. Uh, and I lived in Chicago my first time, <laughs> and I live right by Lake Michigan. Well, it, they're not the same, are no, they? No, you know, we just did a vacation down to Florida, and we stopped at my brother-in-law's house on Lake Martin in Alabama. And I think I remember him telling me that that lake—it's a huge lake. Uh, it it goes eight hundred miles, or if you drove around it, and it's not a perfect. It, you know, the Sea of Galilee is definitely a perfect, almost teardrop-shaped uh, lake, uh, but. 
800 miles. I just thought 800 miles. That's a. Ama- I mean, it takes forever to get out of that whole area because that lake is just huge. Um, the Sea of Galilee. The first time you see it, it feels big, just because I think it. It kind of has the. You've been reading about it your whole life in the Bible, but then when you get there, um, the second time or the third time, well, now it's just it's a lake. It's called. It actually is called Gennesaret, which is what they really call it. But uh, it's a lake. It's not really a sea. That, that's right. I, I know that uh, I live by Lake Michigan, and you could put the state of Israel, 10,000 square miles, <laughs> a little less than 10,000, drop it into Lake Michigan, and then water ski around it. <laughs> so the um, the Sea of Galilee in Israel is just, it, it's just a little thing, but... After it's it's low, it's low below sea level, about six hundred and some feet mm-hmm. below sea level. There's things that are called mountains. They're called mountains. You and I live in America. We'd look at it and say, "Well, mountain, they're hills." Yeah, they're, but they're called mountains. And so, the wording as we read about it and then go to actually see it, it might be different because of our perspective. But if you were born and raised there, that's I understand why they were described the way they are, because that's where they lived. They didn't know anything else. The, the amazing thing to me, Steve, about the Sea of Galilee is that, like you said, it sits six, seven hundred feet, six or seven hundred feet below sea level. But the pressure, because of the way the valleys of those quote unquote mountains kind of come into the Sea of Galilee, that hot air gets compressed down into the valleys, and then it shoots out over the Sea of Galilee, and you can wake up in the morning and you know see the Sea of Galilee, maybe even enjoy when you're on one of our trips, you can enjoy a cup of coffee. It's looking like at, glass. It's like glass. There's nothing. Then all of a sudden, a few hours later, you're, I mean, I think I've heard five, six, seven foot swells of waves. I, I, one time we were on a boat, Steve, and I was leading and we were, I was teaching these students from a boat on the Sea of Galilee and we hear <laughs> Captain go, Man overboard. And I, I thought to myself, I know my teaching's not that great, but you don't have to jump ship, you know. <laughs> they were they were leaving you like crazy. They were leaving. But some jet skier, the waves got so bad, it fell off his jet ski and he almost died. He was, you know, he was just so tired. He was floating out there. We happened to run into him. But not it, literally. <laughs> that's right. I float by him, <laughs> literally. But uh, anyway, the point was that these waves can get big. That's why the disciples were actually really scared on the sea, because it could kill you. 100%, and they're ex- excellent fishermen. But that's not what this story or sign is about. We're not going to have a rescue of the that's true. of anybody on the Sea of Galilee. But that's another story for Jesus. But it says, at this point, there was a great multitude that was following Jesus. And, and Chris... We know why they were following him. He had done miracle after miracle. Again, John is going to pick out seven particular signs, uh, and this one that we're approaching is going to be one of them. But he had been doing, as we read from John 20, all kinds of miracles and supplying people with blessing that he was building up. He was building up fans. He mm-hmm. had fans. Mm-hmm. Uh Long before social media, word had getting getting around. People were healed. People were feeling good being around Jesus because he was helping them. And so multitudes are now following him uh, because, and, and the text says, John said, because they saw his signs. Yeah. That's why. So they are, they are groupies. They are Jesus groupies. Oh, I like that saying. And they are following him wherever he goes. And, uh, 
it says, because he saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And then it says, Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So he's go, he's leaving the Sea of Galilee, going up to the hills or the mountains. His, his people are with him, and now it's the Passover. And John does mention three Passovers. This is one of them. And so a Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was near. It wasn't there. It hadn't happened. But And he's in Galilee. He should be in Israel when Passover happens, but he doesn't have to be. Nobody does. Uh, it's just John saying, hey, Passover is near. And so Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip. So now he's going to talk to one of the disciples, and he's going to say, where shall we buy bread that they that these may eat? This is loaded, Chris, yeah. with this is a teacher here. This is this is a test. I used to hate tests. Did you like tests in college? I never did good on, uh, you know, college I got better, but I always felt like people were trying to trick me all the time. I don't know about you. Well, doesn't this sound like a trick question? Yeah. Look, there's a lot of people here. And, hey, Philip, where are we, we going to get where are we going to get food? Where, where should we buy bread? He know Jesus knows where he's at. What? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to me, if what would how would you react if you were Philip? Hey, where are we going to buy bread? You, you are from the area. Yeah. You know the area. There's no uh, stop and shop. There's no Wawa. So, uh, we, on the East Coast, we have fast food places called Wawa or 7-Eleven in the central uh, part of the United States where, you you know, you want to get a quick coffee or some potato chips or a sub sandwich or, or whatever. Uh, hey, where are we going to get food? Yeah, for 5,000 people, too. I mean, that's the, you know, and so Philip does reply. Um, he, he's, now, it does say, it's it's interesting, it says, um, where can we buy bread so that these people may eat? I, I do think it's interesting. Is this? Do you think Jesus is just doing a test, or do you think he's genuinely concerned about the people that have been his groupies, as you like to say, or his disciples that are following him? I don't believe he's concerned because I know he knows what he's going to do. I personally think yeah. he knows what he's going to do, but I think he's testing them. And, says I think that, yeah, and it does say he's testing his... And I think it's for an important reason, because not only are these seven signs going to be indications of, as John wants people to believe in who he is, uh, these are things that he's going to leave with us because the Holy Spirit moved John later, mm-hmm. uh, J- the Apostle John, to, who wrote this uh, as, as something to indicate who he is. So he's not just thinking of the group there and the need, although he's... Isn't it interesting? He does think of them. Yeah. He cares about them. There is them. compassion. Oh, yeah. 100%. You don't realize how far food can go with people. Or how sh- he, they're hungry. They're hungry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they probably, uh, you know what groupies do? They just, they're so enamored with the person. Have you ever seen those old films of, of people who, and for me, I remember them. For you, they'd be old documentaries of the Beatles, the groupies, or Elvis, People who fought, they they would they, they were uncontrolled they just left to follow them and yeah they they didn't think about did themselves. Did you ever see Forrest Gump? Oh yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember the scene where Forrest is running? He just <laughs> decides to start running and he runs back and forth, but he gains this this national notoriety and and they don't even know why they're following. They, they're just running and then all of a sudden he's in the middle of some desert and he just has this epiphany. I think I'm done running now, and so he turns around to this group that have just been following him and he goes. 
I think I'm done running now. And they said, wait, what? You know, <laughs> we've been running with you forever. Now you're done? That's not what Jesus doesn't say we're done. But still, that's the mentality of the, you know, we're going to follow him. Even if we starve to death, we're going to follow him. That's right. That's and right. he does care about them. He wants to meet their immediate need. But he also knows the long-range benefit of what he's about to do. And he's working individually with Philip. Mm-hmm. Philip's faith. Philip, who, you know, what What do you think we should do here? And he says, you know, we... 200 denarii. I don't know about you, Chris, but 200 denarii does nothing for me. How about a year's wages? Yeah. That that might that might. Could you imagine, uh, you 200 know. 200 denarii. Hey, 200 denarii. Yeah, 200 bucks what, to feed all these people. Yeah, what, that's fine. I can do that. It's it, They had some amount of money, but it still wasn't nearly enough. Plus, there was no place to get it. Yep. I just find it interesting. And uh, so... 200 denarii's worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. And so one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, there is a lad here. You know, (laughs) can I tell you something? There are commentators who say, actually, there's another miracle here. You know, there's another, not just the feeding of the 5,000, but the fact that this young lad did not eat his lunch. (laughs) That, yes, that is a good one. You know, it's funny. Every time I undo my kids' lunches at the end of the day, like they bring their lunch back, they're at lunch back. All of Preston's, my son, gone. All of Cohen's, gone. All of Levi's, gone. Olive, she picks, you know, like what she has. Uh, but you're right. It's a miracle because my kids, my boys eat us out of house and home. And so, yeah, that's a miracle right there. I never thought about that. I remember when I was go. there was a, a, a little, like, forest by our house when I was in elementary school. And in those days, I would leave in the morning and go. And we did, my mother wasn't concerned. She knew the neighborhood and all that. So I asked my mom for a brown bag for lunch because I wanted to go on an adventure into the forest. And I was going to be there so long that I was going to eat lunch. So I left at 8 o'clock. I was probably 10 and I left at 8 o'clock. I have my brown bag. I walk. I, I, I thought I was walking for, you know, forever. I think I walked for 15 minutes. And I said, I think I'll eat lunch. <laughs> at 10 o'clock. So I just ate. So the fact that he had a lunch and didn't eat it is, again, it's not one of the signs. It a took- commentator made a joke. I like the joke. I think it's funny. It took one miracle to produce another miracle. There you go. There you go. So. He, the, the lad has five barley loaves, two small fish, but what are they among so many? It isn't enough to feed all these people. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place so that the men sat down and the number 5,000. But Chris, there were more than 5,000. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because they count it a, a lot like it, they like the Israelites leaving um, Egypt. And so it's by men. But that doesn't count the women and the children that would have been with them as well. And let's face it, I I think it's fair to say when it comes to spiritual kinds of things, I find that women seem more interested in spiritual things. Now, that's a controversial statement. I don't know if you agree with me, honestly. But I think I have Bible studies. More more women attend our Bible studies than the men do. I think this is a good challenge for men if they listen. You know, but it's it's true because even on all of our programs that we do. You know, with FY Equip or with Bridges or with our Origins trip or with our Hesed trip, it's it's always anywhere from a 60-40 to a 7-30 spread, 70-60% women, 30-40% men 
Uh, it's always that way. Rarely, I always remember the years I've done the trips to Origins, the, our, the men always occupy the smaller section of the house that we stay in. The women get the larger section, and it's because there's more women, and it's very typical. That was year after year after year. So I think I have some good stats to show that you're And let's you're right. just say it's a cultural thing, Western culture versus Middle East culture. Sure. Okay, sure. but still, 5,000 men, he says, so we automatically know... It, it might be unfair, but let's put one woman next to a man. So now we're up to 10,000. And the moment the woman goes with her husband, they got to take the kids with them. Let's give them one child. So it's, I think, fair to estimate. That's it. We're just estimate. I think there's at least 15,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. At least a ballpark number in that. Somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. So we're talking about a lot of people, uh, a small city, uh, on today's standards, for their standards, and why wouldn't there be? He is, he, yeah. Chris, if your kid was super sick, they didn't have a, the kind of hospitals we have, the, the, almost any illness would be nigh unto death. And he was healing them. He was heal, feeding people. He was doing all kinds of wonderful things. He attracted a huge crowd. And I'm sure, and he was teaching as well, because as you had stated earlier, the the Sermon on the Mount had already taken place in that general area as well. It would have been very close to that. So, you know, when you think about, the people probably knew that he was healing, but they probably also thought this man is a man of God in some way as well. Or the Messiah. Yeah, I was going to say the Messiah, but I'm sure there are still a lot of questions swirling around in people's minds. And that's why they were following that's, him. Because Jesus never really necessarily got up and said, I am the Messiah, follow me. He, he's always a little enigmatic about the his identification, but still they're following him. So. so the text goes on in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, so those five loaves, and when he had given thanks... So we prayed, Chris. Baruch Adonai, yep. Eloheinu melech haolam, borei puri haadama. That's great. Uh, <laughs> that's great. No, that's great. You did good. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Mm. So, Chris, you're talking about your, uh, you, you have the four horses of the apocalypse. That's you my call kids, your, yep. your children. Three boys and one girl. Uh, and uh, the, the boys, for sure, eat a lot. Imagine, let's say, ten to 15,000 people. Yeah. They're hungry. Yeah. That's, that's one of the reasons Jesus brings it up. And so he's going to supply the food for them. Remember we talked about the miracle of the wine, water into wine, and we said, what a shame, what an awful thing to run out of food when you have guests. The idea of running out of wine at a wedding is is just terrible. So now Jesus is the host. He's going to end up being the host. I'm going to feed you. So does he have enough food, Chris? From human standards, he doesn't have enough food. But then the miracle happens, and he ends up having an abundance of food, which is the way a host should host his They get to guests. take a pecola home. That's a Yiddish word, a bonus word. We're, we're, oh, we're that's not, a good one. We're yeah. to save that for a later. Pecola, a pecola is a little bit, you know, take a little bit home. Like uh, when I would visit my mother with my wife and kids, and it was we had to travel back, you know, eight hours, Ah, take a pecola from, you know, whatever her food. What do you like? I'll give you cake. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. You take a pecola so that you'll have something on the trip. Mm. They had, uh, how much of a pecola, Chris? 
It says it right here that uh, uh, then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the bread to those who were who were seated. He then did the same with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were all satisfied, Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the broken pieces uh, that are left over so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves left over by the people who had eaten. Chris, I don't. I think when they, when they describe this, I don't think these are these are uh, fish uh, bones. I think these are full meals. Oh yeah, I I think there was Saint the, Peter's fish. I, I I don't believe this was just the uh, you know the half eaten fragments because that's what usually comes to at least to mind. Oh, for, it's just they took a bite and they were full and they threw it away. No. There was more than enough. Everybody had what they needed. And I'm sure, like I did when I went to a Friends of Israel Bible study as an unsaved person, I ate all the locks I could, and believe me, it was a lot. Uh, <laughs> and they ate till they were satisfied. They ate full. And here they are in the middle of nowhere, and Jesus provides for them. Mm. This was huge. Yeah. Look at who is the one that provided. There's a lunch. We said a miracle, maybe it wasn't, but the lad didn't eat it. Five loaves, the fish, everybody eats. It's it's a great blessing. You know, um, I once, I don't know how, where I saw this, but it was a response to this, but it try, it took the, the Jesus's miracle away um, by saying, and I do think that there might be some probably more liberal commentators that would say that, you know, the, a miracle didn't happen. What actually happened was, Jesus had teaching, had influenced these people so much that they actually took from their own food and they started multi- They started sharing it with one another. I, 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 if you can see Steve's face right now, he's just shaking his head. But it, it's amazing to me how people want to rob the Bible of the, the miracles of God, the, the miracles of Jesus. They do it in the Old Testament and they do it in the New Testament over and over again, they try to they try to rob it to say, "Oh, look! It, it was just Jesus's example and teaching where they took their own bread and they started sharing it, and there was left they had leftovers because everyone was sharing how it should be uh, among uh, humanity." Um, but that's not what Jesus is doing. It's Jesus is showing a miracle. It's just plain text, Chris. I know you know that. When somebody says that, they have to read something into the text. Yeah, it's just a pretty simple story. If you tell a child and read this text to them, they know exactly what it means. And I think for some adults, the fact that it's so simple and carries such a powerful message is too difficult for them to want to believe. Uh, and yet, it it's true. It's a simple story. We tell it in Sunday school. Jesus fed the 5,000, and he did it with a little boy's lunch. What an amazing story. Yeah. But it's true that some people don't want to accept it for what it says. But let's talk about this idea of multiplication, because that is definitely something that Jesus is showing us here. He takes something and he multiplies. He takes a little and he multiplies it to become uh, enough for everybody to eat. This seems to be a common um, idea in the New Testament of multiplication that we want to. Jesus can take something small and and he can he can grow it. Uh, by by using us, and I'm just interested in your thoughts on that because it's multiplication. I feel like that shows up 
in in the parables. I think that shows up in the way that Paul was ministering to people, and one person would come to faith, and then it would become a multiplication effect. Uh, the, the 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 apostles were doing that, but it seems Jesus uses that idea here in the miracle as well. Oh, I I think a hundred percent. You start with the truth, the truth, and this is the truth. Those five thousand people plus their spouses or other women and kids, those ten to 15,000 people after they're fed, and the very fact that there's that many, they're telling other people. Yeah. That's, that's what happens. Uh, Jesus started with 12, and one of them betrayed him. He invested his life in 12 people, yep. knowing that he was going to build his church, Acts chapter 2, but he starts with really the 11, and they had to find a 12th after Judas. And what happened, Chris? It spread like crazy. Mm-hmm. Why? Because when the truth, when you get to the truth and you are liberated and understand your, li- you, it's good news. That's what the guy, if it's good news, you're telling everybody about it, as many people as you can. And that expands exponentially. Yep. And that's what happened here. I, I also like the idea to think, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about this boy who woke up one day and he packed his five loaves and his fish and, and didn't need it, didn't need it miracle. Uh, but he's just doing his life. And, um, you know, he took, there was an ordinary day, I'm sure for him. And yet Jesus took an ordinary boy with an ordinary lunch and he, and he multiplied it into a blessing to uh, reveal who he was uh, more than just a mere man. Um, and How do you think that little boy felt when he saw his lunch multiply? Yeah, like a million bucks, I bet. And But, you know, it's, I just started thinking, you know, sometimes I think we have to have all of these pieces in place, all of these programs lined up, all of these things in order to, to do ministry. And yet, you know, honestly, I think Jesus responds when, when when Jesus can take the ordinary things in our life, Steve, the packing of a lunch, the ordinary thing, and he can use it for his glory. And because that's what he did. He took a boy's lunch and he used it for his glory. And here we are. I, what's amazing is Jesus gets the glory. And then that boy is always remembered as just the kid. Like he's a part of the story and um, the account. And so anyway, I just, I was sitting here thinking, it's amazing. I think about my life. I think about my kids, all of that. It's not always the big programs. It's not always the big conferences. It's not always those things. Sometimes it's just waking up, making your lunch and saying, God, do something with this lunch. Do something with this moment for me. Little is much in the hands of the Savior. Mm. Little is much. There's a song. uh, I don't know it, uh, but I do know that I've sung it. and it's true, little is much. And that's what he does with individual lives as well. So it's a great story, Chris. And we know later on, uh, we're going to, next week, we'll be talking about the next miracle or and, and making sure that we, or in two weeks, sorry, in two weeks, we'll be talking about that. Uh, but either way, uh, that'll be with Jesus walking on the water. But in the context of chapter six, it's good to know that he used that bread of the loaves and the fish, and he's going to take that miracle and not spiritualize it, but give a spiritual lesson Mm. about him being the bread of life. And Chris, this would go 
and will go to the heart of the Jewish rejection. I'm one of them. The idea of Jesus being God uh, is a problem, and he's going to say, "I'm I'm the I'm the bread. Yeah, I'm I'm the manna. The manna that, that comes that down comes from, from heaven. heaven. Yep. I'm the manna, and you have to have me." Uh, oh man, that's a hard one. We'll be talking a lot about that. Can I say too, so we can wrap up um, in John six fourteen? It says, "Now when the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus performed, they began to say one another. It they didn't say he's the Messiah, he's God. They said this is certainly the prophet who is to come into the world. Then Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king." withdrew again to the mountainside alone. He had a hightail out of there. He had to get out of there. The prophet from Deuteronomy 18, right, That's right. I was just going to say, in Deuteronomy 18, 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. This accords with what happened at uh, Sinai in the day of the assembly and it goes on, but ultimately there would even Moses was saying, "There's someone greater coming than uh, him." Than him, and and they started, they started seeing it, and they wanted to make him king. Now, whether or not they associated him with Messiah, I, that's an interesting concept. But they saw him as the prophet, that one that Moses pointed to, which is interesting. Yeah, very important, and that's how John ends that uh, particular sign, uh, and then he's going to segue to the next. And sign. could you? I mean, I know. 15,000 people, let's just say max 15,000, saying, you're our king. You know, that's a lot of people. That kind of thing would raise attention in Israel big nope, time. No question about it. This, I'm telling you, these signs are fantastic. I've enjoyed this so far, and we have more to go. We have more to go. But before before uh, um, uh, we continue, um, I just hope that you're enjoying um, the signs. Uh, uh, it's It's been great to study through them. But, Steve, why don't we go ahead and find out what's going on in the news? Well, let's start with a new Israeli tank featuring Xbox controllers. So this is more your age and younger, Chris. I never... I. I'm not gonna lie. I I know everyone looks at me like I'm a but youth Xbox group here, is younger X, than you. Well, yeah, I'm I'm a Nintendo guy. Maybe into Sega Genesis, uh, Xbox. I was already working okay. a full time well, job. I've I've already uh, been to places uh, when I'm speaking at places and uh, folks' homes where I stay. They have Xbox. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. they have Xboxes. And so, tell us what an Xbox is. You could probably give a better def than me. Oh, I you know I just know it as a. Uh, sophisticated um, gaming okay. console. Okay, so it's gaming. That, it's that's gaming. the keyword. Yeah. Key so is the Israeli tank, this is an Israeli tank. It's featuring Xbox controllers controlled by AI. So AI Artificial is, intelligence. is honed in, and the Washington Post article, uh, I'm holding, holding it up, and, of course, you're going to have the place that they can... The it's already page. linked. Yep, it's already they linked. They can link it, and... He, they are the Israelis are specifically targeting teenagers, and we know in Israel they go into the IDF, the Israeli Army, and so the first qualification for this tank division is that you have Xbox experience, <laughs> and that's got to be on the qualifications. Uh, it's that's un- on your resume. You must play with video games. That's part of the resume. In fact, it says any teen. Or 20-something who enters the hatch of the Carmel, that's what it's called, will likely feel familiar with the environment thanks to video games. (laughs) 
Can you imagine in the military? All right, all you Xbox people, uh, I'd like you to line up here. Your potential AI tank commander. Yeah, exactly. No, I know. You know, I was saying to you earlier, my wife and I invest most of our days into trying to get our kids not to play video games. I mean, it's like, please take a break. Please, you know more. Shut it down. And there's always, comp- I don't want to stop. I want to keep playing. And it's a constant battle to bring them back into reality. You know what I mean? But now it's here I am. I'm thinking maybe I'm stunting my kids from succeeding in life because they could become some tank, you know, digital tank brigade. I I don't know. So it's interesting that you're reading. Well, let's let's talk about Moisha Friedman. Yeah, (laughs) Moisha, my kind of guy. That's right. Moisha Friedman. Why do I say that? Because the Post article, this Washington Post article says, as such, the new generation of armored crewmen might look less like George Patton, that's World War II, and more like your favorite Twitch video game streamer. I don't know what Twitch is. Twitch is a... um, This is all making me laugh inside because Twitch is... I wish... See, you don't... I, I don't go into this, you don't go into this, but I know that my kids and their friends do. There is an entire world, Steve, where people just play video games and they record themselves and... They get millions of views, and they're just going through, and they're talking about, you know, doing this. They've it's become shows on TV, like on uh, you can watch it on Amazon Prime, and people, millions of people tune in to just watching people play video games. That's what Twitch is. Uh, okay, so that so or Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalemite Moish Friedman, who's skinny, bespeckled, and a bit shy. Mm-hmm. Friedman, an Israeli military vet, remember he's 23, he's already a vet because they go in at 18 and they're out by 21. So he's 23. Uh, Friedman, an Israeli military vet whose service was focused on robotics, is one of the programmers helping to develop this totally new kind of armored vehicle. I played a lot of video games, he said. <laughs> I told the Washington Post in a secure area on IAI's military base like campus. Yeah, I think I can say I'm a gamer. <laughs> and you, you know, know what, what I think about Moish here? This just took his level with getting a, with, a girlfriend or a wife. It just sky skyrocketed him. You know what I mean? He can go to he can go to his girlfriend's, you know, parents to his to his future father in law, and he can say, "How you know? What do you do for a living?" Oh, I play video games for a living. Wait, how are you going to take care of my... Well, it's video games for the Israeli army. Okay? So it's just a whole mindset changes. Once a geek you know, or a nerd, and now all of a sudden he's in the army. And the father will say, who's interested in that? He said, well, the Washington Post. <laughs> that's right, exactly. <laughs> all right, so that's... Uh, they can read the rest on their own. But this is an amazing thing, Chris, because now tanks could... In, in urban fighting, it's very difficult uh, and you take a tank, they're certainly worth a lot of money, but what's even worth more is the men operating That's right. that tank. And now they'll be in a different location That's right. with all the cameras and all the things they have going. That thing, it has a cannon on it. It has it could launch its own drone yep. uh, remotely. Uh, so they'll be able to put that pl- in, in the middle of enemy fire and the operators will be 100% safe. That's right. When their tank gets blown up, they go, well, I'm going home. <laughs> I'm, it's, it's dinner just, time. I got to go home. It's just hard to believe. Well, we go to the next one. Uh, this is from the Jerusalem Post. Grapevine, June 19th, 2022. Reviving Yiddish. And we know about Yiddish, right? That's Chris? right. As part of our heritage, movers and shakers in Israeli society. And so this was June 18th, 2022. And I Yiddish 
is now becoming uh, uh, something in vogue now. That's right. More used. L- listen what it says. Founding fi- Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion. So we're going back to 1948, pre-1948. He's the first Prime Minister. He outlawed Yiddish. Did he really? He outlawed Yiddish. And the reason he did was... He wanted him to speak Hebrew? Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, but he, founding Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion, who outlawed this language, which was the most common among European Jews, we verify that, I was raised with hearing it, could, he himself could speak excellent Yiddish himself and did so when he needed to, get this, when he needed to schnorr. We, <laughs> we know that, that word. word. <laughs> we, when he needed don't, to be sh- a sh- don't be a schnorrer. He, when he needed to schnorr, parentheses, beg for money <laughs> That's right. from affluent Jewish people in the diaspora. But in his view, if Hebrew was not to be the unifying language in the newly reclaimed homeland of the Jewish people, Yiddish had to be eliminated. It had to be eliminated, but it he never eliminated it, but he but Hebrew is the main language. You know, not to not to get off track, but you know what I learned is um Hebrew the did you know that the the ultra orthodox and religious in Israel did not want Hebrew to become the national language? I did know that. Because they didn't want they felt it was a holy language and we would be using it for common purposes. And so it almost so you had you had Ben Gurion outlawing Yiddish you had the ultra orthodox and religious saying we don't want Hebrew. I mean, what would they have spoke English? Maybe I, I, yeah, I don't know. But there was a lot of interesting ins and outs of the languages as Israel was growing up in its infancy. Well, just so you know, this language is being revived. It's now taught at uh, in, in Israel. Mm-hmm. It's taught in the United States. It's revived. And Chris, you and I, uh, you, you and me—is it you and me or is it? You Ask your wife. She was just I she was get, just patting my back. I actually about how, heard my wife's voice in my head. If I mispronounce, I, it always irritates us. So is it you and me or is it you and I? She, your wife was just complimenting how I use it properly. But, so what's your Well, guess? that's the thing. I don't, I only do what I, I, I think it's you and I. Okay. So you and I. She'll, uh, <laughs> does she listen to the podcast? No, she doesn't <laughs> listen. She's, you know what she told me? She said, why should I listen? I hear you every day, <laughs> every day. I don't need another hour to that, listen. That's right. Well, but maybe this, she'll listen now. May, maybe. I have to ask her to listen to this one so she can turn. You to even me. told her. You said we mentioned you on the podcast. She goes, ah, fat. <laughs> she uses Yiddish now. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So it's now taught in courses. But Chris, uh, I, I don't want to reveal what we do when we plan. But we really have on the docket next year. We don't know when, but this is a little tease. We're going to have our own Yiddish class yep. because we have at Friends of Israel a couple who live in Pittsburgh, the Bergs. The Bergs. Uh, and isn't it Pittsburgh? The Bergs that's live right. there. The Bergs live in Pittsburgh. Uh, that's right. And uh, they, they've been teaching Yiddish uh, for years. Yeah. We're going to get them to teach, certainly not a whole long weeks and weeks, but the highlights of learning Yiddish and ways that maybe our people who listen might want to learn more. That's been a great ministry outlet for them is teaching Yiddish. And, and they even teach Yiddish to Christians in churches. And I know they've done that. They have Yiddish classes. I, I love the Bergs. That I think it'll be great. And just so that people don't think we're like this big official, you know, I, how did how did our planning go, Steve? You said, I think we should do a Yiddish class. And I said, okay, sounds good. So <laughs> That's right. we didn't sit around a big long table and think about it. We didn't think too hard. We're no. just going to make it happen. No, no. <laughs> and it's interesting. You and I have called Arlene Berg, uh, who 
uh, is the main teacher and asked her about various words. And she's, oh, I, I, she's intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> well, she, once you give her an outlet, she's going to run with it. I like it. hundred percent. So anyway, this is a great article for folks to read and uh, you'll have a link for them as well. Steve, I got one more here. Um, this one I thought was interesting. I found this earlier. It popped up on my phone. Anti-Semitism largely eliminated from textbooks in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has a trend of improvement in removing anti-Semitism from its curriculum in recent years. You know, you could kind of pat them on the back and go, oh, good job. You know, you're doing it. But it's, let's go back and talk about the fact that in their curriculum, they taught that Israel was a Zionist regime, um, you know, it was a, it was a, it needed to be rooted out. Um, it, it, it put Jewish people down. It was very anti-Semitic. I mean, this is the way that they're teaching their kids. That's the curriculum we're talking about. And so, I know we're patting them on the back. You know, welcome to the 21st century of respecting the people around you. But still, I mean, it's a big move, though, because these were the same people that when you'd fly in an airplane over Israel, they would blur out Israel. You know, it was blurred out on their maps. And now we're moving to a place where I know Israel works with Saudi Arabia on security issues. They have certain ties. They don't have um, they don't have peace, uh, official peace just yet, like like Israel's made with UAE and Bahrain and Oman and things of that nature, but they do have uh, a workable relationship, which I think is probably one of the reasons we're beginning to see this. Uh, I don't want to say friendliness toward the Jewish people, but they're rooting it out of their curriculum, which teaches kids. Very important. And uh, Chris, I just think it'd be good for our listeners to hear the end of this article. It says Saudi Arabia has seen a trend of improving in removing anti-Semitism from its curriculum in recent years. According to the Institute, Quran verses, so these are in the Quran, Chris, describing Jews as being monkeys. Yep. That's that's very nice of them. <laughs> uh, as was the anti-Semitic myth that one of the goals of Zionism is a global Jewish government. In addition, Quran verses prohibiting friendships with Jews and Christians uh, have been removed in the past three years. Saudi students are falsely taught that Zionists, those are people who believe Jewish people have a a right to exist in their ancient homeland. Zionists deliberately tried to burn down the Al-Aqsa Mosque in 1969, a lie that was removed from Qatar's curriculum. The Quran verses comparing Jews to book-carrying donkeys also remains while students are taught that women are to blame for, uh, uh, you know, for issues that males have but it's still kind of in there but i guess they're slowly rooting slowly. it out. well it's good to know i'm not a donkey or a monkey That's right. <laughs> uh we're we're moving up in the world we're, you guys are moving on up but uh, anyway um uh, i thought an interesting article very interesting all right steve here we go as we're closing out our time in the jew and gentile podcast we always end our podcast with the yiddish word of the day steve what is it? The Yiddish word for today after we just talked about feeding 5,000 people. 5,000 men. That, oh, that's 5,000 men, about ten to 15,000 people. How about a nice nosh? A nosh, that's right. All right, Steve, what does nosh mean? A nosh means to snack. To uh, uh, you know, If you're at somebody's house and you, you're visiting, they'll say, oh, can I get you some? Oh, I'm, I just ate. I'll have a little nosh. Yep. What do you have, like, a, you know, <laughs> fruit or, uh, you know, some potato chips, a little nosh. Uh, well, 
Jesus, he gave more than a nosh. Oh, he gave a nosh. He gave more than a nosh. You know, whenever I'd go to a synagogue on Friday nights when I was in Dallas or even, you know, here in the Philadelphia area, that it was, are you sticking around for the nosh afterwards? You know, and they'd always have maybe some cookies or something that was kosher for after the the worship service or the time together. It was a nosh, though. They called it a nosh as well. Exactly. But I, I could tell you in most Jewish homes, if there's a guest over, the hostess will say, oh, would you like a little nosh? Oh, yeah, that would that would be great. And then they bring out a whole turkey. <laughs> oh, chicken. Well, uh, what was the word, though, that you originally thought of? So nosh is to snack, but you were talking about... Uh, oh, well, when you eat too much, Chris. Oh, you want a bonus word today? I do. Right? Well, I mean... Uh, yeah. Okay, we would say don't eat like a chazer. A pig. Yeah, a pig. <laughs> that that almost is an interest in the Jewish world. That's kind of a, I mean, because a pig is yeah, unkosher. Unkosher. But yeah. when you, so let's say uh, they say, hey, I'd like to, would you like to stay and, uh, uh, and whatever. So you're going to eat. So let's say, Chris, you ate a whole chicken. I mean, you ate the whole chicken. Yeah. And then you say, hey, what else do you have? Yeah. And <laughs> your, your wife, if she was next to you, would say, Chris, don't be such a chazer. You already ate a whole chicken. You don't be a pig in front of these people. You just need to nosh. You don't need to chazer. Well, you you noshed at our house growing up. Didn't oh, you? I I was a chazer or whatever at your house. <laughs> I ate you all out of house and home when I was. I grew up going to Steve's house, and I remember uh, I was probably high school. I think ninth grade, tenth grade when I started hanging out with your boys, and I'd come over, and every time I come over, you'd go, "Are you staying for dinner?" And I, you were like feeding the five thousand because I used to think. To myself you know you don't even plan how do you know that you're supposed to plan enough food to have a guest you just would go are you staying and i would i would i would nosh with you all so that was my sh- i have before we close you have to tell the story of the cake with the family the big your mother made you buy it that's right my mother made me buy it when i was going over steve's house a lot growing up um i told i'm telling you they would feed me all the time and my mom said you know you've gotta you gotta bring a gift you gotta reciprocate so I went to the diner and I bought this huge cake. It was huge. It was huge. I mean, I could. I, it was so big, and it had. Remember, it had the strawberries on top. And, I do remember. And I just showed. I just so does a, everybody in the family because every <laughs> there were a lot of people there. There were a lot of people. That's right. It was like a party. Yep. And I showed up with this big cake, and it was a hit. Everybody went. Oh man! Even the la- well, the ladies didn't sound like that. But we had uh, my wife and her sisters were over, and mm-hmm. her mother was there, and uh, our kids, and, and there were a lot of people seated around that table. There was, but and and little did I know that Alice prefers to start her meals with dessert than with dinner. So that's right, you I, found that out later. That's right, I found that out. But I definitely that was because of all the noshing that I did at Steve's house, acting more like a pig. Uh, I brought a gift over. Thanks to my mom's instructions there. She so. did good. But noshing is a fun thing to do. A have nosh- a little nosh. Have a little nosh. Well, you know what, everybody? I hope we can nosh together at some point. We can all have a good time. But until then, be sure to go to the Jew and Gentile podcast. You can find us at foiequip.org. Hey, don't forget, that's who sponsors us, foiequip.org. There you can sign up for our all of our upcoming classes. All of our classes that are happening in our spring sessions, our fall sessions, and our winter sessions should all be up at foiequip.org. Don't miss your opportunity. Steve, it's been a great time with you. Great time, Chris. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us. Have a great one, and we'll see you next week.